You guys got all your talking out? Okay. Um, I am uh, really excited about our 10 year. Uh, there'll be a lot to celebrate. We'll get into a lot of really kind of fun things, and we're going to introduce a new series leading up into Easter. Uh, but it was uh, one of those things if you, uh, even if you were not here in the very beginning, most people don't understand this. Why it's something really great to celebrate is because most church plants, we, you, you may not know this, about 50% of them will fail or within the first year. And then after that, the chances go down just by just a few points each, each year. So I remember every year, we'd be like, we made it one year. We didn't fail. That was our big celebration. We didn't fail. And, uh, and then it just kept going further, and it couldn't have been done without the work of God wanting a church in this community and uh, gathering the people that he has gathered together and with a, a, a lot of serious sacrifice from a lot of people to bring us to this point. And so I hope you join us. Um, if you have somebody who you have on your heart, you're thinking like, hey, man, I'd like to, them to check out the church. Next week will be a really good preview of our church because they'll get a little bit of history. They'll get some context. They'll get a sermon and they'll get community out afterwards to meet other people. So just be praying about that. Think of who God has on your heart for that. So um, let's just pray, and then we'll get right into the message. God, we love you so much. Uh, we have a lot to celebrate, God. We have a lot of uh, experiences in our church journey uh, with hope in the journey, even to this point where we became Soundhouse Church together. And God, just thank you for shaping us and, and, and conditioning us to be the church you want us to be for this time. And we just ask for your guidance and direction, God, as we hear the words of James as he concludes. I ask that none of these leave our heart, God, that something impactful happens in each one of our hearts as he's making a final push as a church and what it means to live Christianity in real life. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> James is doing something like I was telling you every week has been a real challenge to the church and the people. And every single week, he brings up a topic or something that's difficult that people have to wrestle with as they're hearing it being probably most likely read aloud in their synagogues. And they have to walk away with this final impression that he's trying to make on the church. If you have been with us in the series, you will understand that James is speaking to essentially his church. We can take this letter and, and translate it to all churches because this is authoritative. God spoke through James to write this, but James isn't just writing words. He's writing to people. And I think that's what makes the Bible so special is that the, 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 the very heart of God is still very transmissible to us today as a church. And he's beginning to, to kind of conclude. Now, I'm glad he doesn't finish his sermon, if you will and a hard place, because some of the topics have been very difficult, especially last week's. But he kind of comes to this nice kind of finish for everybody to go, okay, now are we ready to go, right? And you know, as we get close to the end, I want you, if you could, to just put your hearts, your minds into what he's going to say, really, really grab what he, how he's going to finish with the church. I know with me, when I'm ready to wrap up at a service, which some of you are like, yeah, can we get in on that conversation on when to wrap up at service? But listen, 
you, I will comfort you to know, and I thought about this before I got up, I was like, James is getting ready to make his conclusion, and I know that it was hard to hear the topics before for the people listening, and it was difficult. Some of them were hard topics, and I know they're just going like, okay, good, we got it, but James has this conclusion, and I know for me, my, my sermons are timed out in a very specific way, but you don't know this. This is all happening behind the scenes, but uh, we stopped doing this specific way but even while I'd be speaking, you may not know this, uh, years ago, Chad and I devised a color system in the back where he'd be like blue. Amy, you're nodding your head because you just had to flash this color to me. Uh, he'd be nodding, it'd be blue, and that means, Ryan, you're hitting the point, keep going with it. And then if he gave me green, he'd be like, we're bored with what you're talking about. <laughs> and I know you're all like, how do I get that green? No, but... but but then it would be in another one where, and this still lasts today, uh, was uh, is now I get the yellow, and then I get the red, and then I ignore the red, and we keep going. So <laughs> Joy is a saint back there. She's always kind of like, hey, does he not see? Maybe he's, he can't, he's colorblind. No, 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 Joy, I see it. One time Chad was, uh, I was speaking, and Chad was, had his colors, but he had accidentally put a color of a, a face of a crying baby on it. And he was flashing it, and he's pointing at it like this. And I'm like, do you want me to cry? Like, it was the most confusing moment. But, the, but, but why I ignore the red sometimes, Joy, is because I know that the conclusion ha has to land. I have to, I have to finish it. So for every one of you children's workers, I apologize that this happens to you. I will not do it today. But I feel what James is doing here. He's like, I need all of your attention, and I need you to hear where we're going with this whole letter. But at this point, he's telling people, listen, and you can feel it. He's kind of starting to draw a line in the sand. And he's saying, you can be this type of person, which would be someone who, when persecution comes and difficulty comes, starting in chapter one, you can bounce, right? Or you could be this type of person when you start to see others around you, you think of yourself as better than them as fellow believers. You can be that type of person. Or you can be this type of person when faith becomes hard, you go, okay, I quit. Or you could be this type of person where it's just my whole life goal then is to become wealthy and take care of myself and rely less on God. Or you can be someone of faith, someone who's not a phony. And you can see it all the way to this point now. He is making people make a choice. And I love this about this letter that he does it. He is drawing a line in the sand. But James concludes with this. He concludes with the idea of a united community and what it looks like. So he has been talking about this dividing line, but this line he's drawing, it's drawn for a reason because all of these other behaviors cause division and they call, cause brokenness in churches. And we can see it, they still happen today, but James says, choose this way, choose this path. It's why it would be even considered a wisdom letter because it, it presents itself that way. I titled this message Solidarity, and ultimately James is going to call upon his churches who are being persecuted, who once knew him as Pastor James, and now they're in different places, and he's telling them, guys, I'm hearing stories, and the stories aren't good. And so it's time to come together in solidarity and lay aside yourself and come together to uplift each other because of Christ. You know, that's what I love about church is that 
I don't, I, 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 I don't know all of your background, and, but we've come from different places. Not many of you grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, so that's just one in itself where I won't fully relate to you. But it's the church, it's the banner of Christ is what unites us. When I hear something and someone's suffering, it's the banner of Christ that draws me to the other believer because they're a family member. Right? It's the church that draws people together. It's why we'll take time of our day to care for or talk to or bring into community another because of the banner of Christ. It's solidarity. It's togetherness. He finishes out with three. You could kind of portion out this last chapter into three sections, main themes. One is he's going to talk about patience. He's going to talk about persistence. And he's going to talk about practice. In the Bible, it's titled Prayer. But it's not essentially what he's all talk, what he's completely talking about. Like when you look at the titling that they put in the Bible, but it's practice. How do you begin to practice? Because you will need to practice your real Christianity in real life. You'll need patience and you will need persistence because it's not as easy. So let's look at when he's talking about patience here. You can open your Bibles up to James chapter five, verse seven. When we look at patience, I will tell you this. We lack patience in our culture today more than ever. It's an epidemic. Now, Lola, I'm not saying you're older, but you are older. And Lola, do you remember the days when you, could, you, you would sit and you would wait for something to get done, maybe a mechanic shop, whatever, and you didn't have a phone to be texting or talking to anybody, and you would just make conversation. You waited patiently, right? Because you were happy to get your car fixed, right? Yeah, no. Why do I pick you? Okay. <laughs> but you think about it, even when you watch older movies now, especially the, my, my kids could never watch a movie that doesn't have nonstop action all the time. And it's just like, this is boring. I'm like, this is a classic. And they're like, then classic means boring. Like, we have a hard time. If it's difficult, we stop trying. Well, that must mean we must not do it. It must be the Lord's will. It's tough. <laughs> oh, nobody like that? Because that's what we say. Oh, God must not want it. It's difficult for me. God only wants things to be easy. Well, I don't know if you've read the Bible. That's not true. If you're in line, start, start complaining. Like, I can't believe this line. How can that person be taking so long? Why are they talking to that person? So you ever done that? Yeah. I love the honesty. If you're hungry, it's like, why, 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 why wait? Why cook the food? Why? It's going to take hours. Let's just get fast food. And then we're getting fast food. If we want it, we get it quick. Everything's fast. We don't wait. If you text someone and you don't get a response back, you're about ready to block that number. Some of you have a real problem with it. I mean, you've texted me and I want to tell you to stop. I will get back to you just in a couple days. If we want something now, but we don't have the cash... What do we do? We'll put it on credit because I want it now and I need it now and I'll just pay it off over time, right? So we are prompted. How about if we pray and, and, if, and we are hoping for an immediate response, but it doesn't work out the way we prayed or we're not hearing back? Are we adopting the very same things of which maybe culture, unfortunately, is allowing us to participate in a very impatient, 
and tolerant way, and now we're adopting them into the principles of the God of the universe who established and made humanity and has worked off these principles and will never stop working off these principles, but we want the God of the universe to fit into our now impatient world. It will not work for you, I promise you. Sometimes you will pray a prayer, and you'll pray it over and over and over and over and believe and hope, and it can go on for years. That's the God we serve. Sometimes prayers are answered immediately, and I think that's a miracle, and we should note them as such. But sometimes they take time, patience. It's, uh, it's very difficult, and if it's very difficult, and it's a struggle, it's easy to give up, but James is going to remind his readers as, and actually, when we were in our Hebrew study, the, 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 the man writing that sermon, the pastor writing that sermon, wrote these words, and James echoes the exact same thing. Churches are going through the same struggle, the book of Hebrews and the book of James. They're being, they're being persecuted, and they're struggling. If you remember Hebrews 6.11, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness that you have, or to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Until the end? What about to the end of this day? That's about all I got. To the end? Verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish, but I love this because he's reminding them to connect back to the Old Testament, but imitators of those through faith and patience inherit the promises. And, and it's a good callback because he's saying, remember all those people that we honor and respect and we revere? Do you remember the time gaps from the time of their prayer or their calling to the time of fulfillment? But we, we, we honor them, imitate them when it comes to patience. James tries to instill the same faith and discipline. James 5, 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer, he's just trying to bring it real practical, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit on earth? Be patient about it until it receives the earth, or sorry, the early and late rains. You also be patient. And I love this phrase, establish your hearts, meaning decide where you're going to be. Make it firm. Don't be one that's just wishy-washy and whatever does or doesn't happen is how your faith lands. For the, it says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door, meaning that if you're wanting to judge, wait, judgment is coming. God, Christ, is at hand. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. He's doing the same thing the writer of the book of Hebrews is doing, except he is taking all of the prophets and saying, do you, do, do, have you heard these taught in the synagogue? Do you remember what, what happened and how difficult it was for these prophets? How hard it was to wait? All of the prophets made huge claims. And then they would sit there and be like, hey, God, like I just told everybody this. Like You got to get going because it's not happening. And people are probably furious, and you can read some of the books, and you're like, oh my gosh, people were so furious, they wanted to kill them. Because like you said God would, and God didn't, and where is he at? I mean, what a difficult job to be a prophet. No one really wanted to be one. You're speaking for God, and you had to wait on God's timeline. And that's difficult, waiting on God's timeline. 
It's tough when you have teenage daughters because you now learn a new timeline. Do you know what I mean? It's a different timeline. I now know that I can't change that timeline. It is a timeline that is, and I have to accept it and I have to work my life around that timeline. But we won't do it for God. But they'll do it for my kid who will throw a fit. You know what I'm saying? The people didn't love this, but he's pointing them back and saying, listen, if you want to talk about patience and being patient and waiting for the fruit to grow and waiting for the fulfillment that God is shaping up, you got to be patient. Isaiah would prophesy, and then 50 years later, it would happen. Another prophecy was 150 years later, and the big one of Jesus was almost over 700 years later. Listen, God takes his time when he takes his time, but we're called to stand in faith. William Penn, uh, crucial figure, obviously, as you guys know, for founding of the United States, especially in how uh, the Constitution was written. He said this, and if you know his life at all, it was not an easy one. He said, patience and diligence, like faith, removes mountains. Oh, I never thought about that. I thought it was just my, my faith that would remove mountains. But I thought that was a really good statement, because I think this is what James is trying to instill in his believers, is listen, you want to move mountains? Be patient. You want to see mountains moved? Be patient. Let God do what he's going to do. In this section, I think it provokes a question, and I have them on the screen here. How is your patience in trying times? We have to ask ourselves that question. What do I look like when trying times are happening? What's my patience like? Can you, can you imagine yourself in moments? It's a good one to ask ourselves because when tough times come, God is looking for people who can bear it. And what does waiting look like for me? Have I become so impatient that everything has to work on my timeline? What does it look like for us? Or can we wait and look and look to God for what he is doing? And even if it takes some time. Second section he gets into here. So he's talking about patience. And of course, you can't talk about patience without talking about persistence. And persistence is important. Because we have to stay steadfast, we have to remain faithful, and it's hard to, but it is one of those things that is a requirement of every Christian, because we do not want to be sunshine Christians where we're just happy when things are good, and where is God when things are not good, or we don't see them fully. John Calvin was a, uh, a huge establisher of, uh, of, I would say, our modern-day church. You can go to a, a Calvinist church, and, and he would be one that they pointed to to establishing it. He was a brilliant scholar, and he also had to endure quite a bit in his journey, if you know his story. He, he said something in one of his journals on spiritual formation, I thought it was very, very good, and I noted it, and it's on the screen. He said, no one can travel so far that he does not make some progress each day. I want that to give you hope. It gave me hope when I read it, actually, because I don't know about you, but like I tend to, when I want to make big changes, tend to New, York, New Year's Day it a lot. Like, that's it, I'm changing everything. And if you don't, then you feel like a failure. You're like, okay, I guess I'm a loser. I'm a sinner. I'll never change. This is how I am. 
So it's encouraging. No one can travel so far that he does not make some progress each day. So let us never give up. Then we shall move forward daily in the Lord's way. And let us never despair because of our limited success. Even though it is so much less than we would like, our labor is not wasted when today is better than yesterday. I got a call this week from a guy, and he went through a very, very hard time. And if I had gone through that hard time, I would have struggled as well. And his, he's trying to hold his integrity inside because he feels a sense of injustice that has happened to him. And in the mid-conversation, he's talking to me about it, and he's telling me what a difficult time it was. And he stops himself, and he says, you know what, though? I, I, I remember what I came from, and I, I'm on a mountaintop compared to that, so I just need to have perspective here. And I, I was like, dude, you just did my job for me. Why did you even need to call me? Like, you, you, you have this. Your perspective was right, is that at the end of the day, you've taken steps forward. Do not get discouraged, and do not, be, do not, do not let this crumble your faith but you got to be persistent. James 5, 11, behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness. Now listen to this. This is the worst person to be compared to. That's like saying, Ryan, you know what? I know you didn't make your ninth grade basketball team, but Michael Jordan, what? <laughs> Don't, I'm not. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Well, do yourself a favor and read the book of Job. This is not what these people wanted to hear. Like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You just compared me to one person who is known for his suffering and endurance, but it was difficult, and he lost everything, everything he had. The guy had just boils all over his body for days and days and days, and he was miserable, and everybody looked at him like he was pitiful. So you want me to have the steadfastness like Job? It's actually a really good example that he uses, and it actually puts it into perspective of like, when you want to quit, don't quit. When you want to give up, don't, go, don't give up. It's persistence that will pay off. Look at the example of Job, is what he tells them. Let me read from Job, Job 27. Now he's having this dialogue back and forth with God. And it's really interesting, this dialogue he's having, especially at the conclusion of the book. But he says this, and as I was reading through Job, this one stuck out to me because I was like, this is the phrase. Job 27.5. Far be it from me to say that you are right talking to God. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. Ooh, there it is. Till I die, I will not put my integrity away from me. I hold fast my righteousness and I will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. I have decided that I'm going to hold the integrity that I said I will have for you, God and how I live my life. James, I think, is hoping that they would know that, that countenance that Job has. Because there were many in his church when the th things just got a fraction of the difficulty of Job's, they left. They cursed God, they were angry, and they were gone. But Job didn't turn his back 
on difficulty, Job was a person of endurance. It's a story of endurance, of no matter how hard it gets, don't quit. Listen to verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, if you grew up and your parents were like, you know, Christians, my parents quoted this verse to me all the time. Broke it all the time, but they quoted it to me all the time. I'd be like, yeah, I'll do that. And like, to let your yeses be yes and your noes be noes. I'm like, or will I die? I don't know what the Bible says. This was a constantly quoted all the time, but it's the truth. James is saying, listen, don't, if you're, if you're in, be in. If you're out, be out, but don't be a contradiction. Let your yeses be yes. You don't need to swear some big oath. You don't need to make some big proclamation to everybody. Just You don't need to, to make a big Facebook post. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Jesus said these words. James is quoting his half-brother, Jesus. But I think James is asking them at the end of the day, are you in or are you out? Are you, do you talk a big game? Do you deliver? And he's asking them, is your word worth anything? Does it matter? God seems to care a lot about word and deed together. And so James is telling his church, guys, this is not the time to be messing around. We can't take casual Christians here. Uh, we're being heavily persecuted, and we are all struggling. So we've got to make sure we're not infighting. We've got to make sure that we're not playing a class war here. We've got to make sure we're seeing each other as the body of Christ. Because when one hand is out of joint, the rest of the body suffers for it all. James is asking them, are you in or are you out? One of the questions I have on the screen here, maybe two, is how is your endurance in faith? When the uh, hard times come, you know, how are, how, how are you enduring that? When it's easy, are we preparing for the hard times, you know? And am I steadfast? That'd be a really good question. James wants his people to answer for themselves. Am I steadfast? Or am I kind of like, a, I don't know, my word doesn't mean much. Or it does when I'm really excited and it, and it, and it doesn't when I'm really struggling. Are you in or are you out? He's asking them. The final part of his kind of conclusion is where I think a lot of times we unfortunately can just focus on the fact that there's a very powerful verse in here about prayer. But this whole little section here is really about practicing in solidarity to be a community of Christ. And he rattles off quite a few things, and we'll read them and then stop in between. Verse 13, he's telling the community uh, of Christ how, how it operates in, in solidarity. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over them. Listen, I'll stop right here. You know, in our day and age, if someone's sick, I mean, well, I'll just put it back to this. We can't fully relate to the, the, the fear of sickness in, a, in an ancient culture, but we can have a glimpse of it during the pandemic. Do you remember the pandemic? We were there, right? 
I remember I'd be in a grocery store and I was like, I literally am just going to sneeze. But if I sneeze, everyone is going to scatter. Like, so you're just like struggling. And, and, and I'd be in a conversation and I got something caught in my throat and I cough and I'd be like, oh no, this conversation's over. All they're thinking is, if I get sick, it's your fault. Like, remember how fearful it was? This is, this is a big deal, what he's saying. This didn't happen in any of in antiquity. The leaders of the church or the leaders of communities usually were the first one to leave when things got tough. So this is very countercultural for them. And we can maybe relate a little bit during the pandemic. The leaders were at the very head of it, like, hey, if you got a problem, bring them to the leaders. The leaders are going to pray for them. Oh, the plague? Doesn't matter. Bring them to the leader, right? And he's saying, if you're sick, usually at that time, you were put out of the community and put out into the sides, and you were either, hopefully, if you came back, God willing, then we would let you back into the community. And he says, no, 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 no. If anyone's sick, let them bring them to the elders and they'll pray over them. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I love this, because this is a community effort. It's not all for yourself. And James essentially says, listen, the leaders are not going to abandon you. So let's not abandon each other. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This is a total solidarity. This is a total communal effort that we do. I'm very easy for people to confess sins to just because I'm a pastor and I understand that. But we're called, and, 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 and sometimes I'm humbled by some of the honesty that people share with me, and I don't take that lightly. I know how difficult it is to confess a struggle, confess an issue, or something that's happened in the past. But I can see, I, I can see, in the moment that it's being communicated, especially if it's never been communicated before, the, the, the healing that begins to happen, and the humility that begins to happen, and the freedom that begins to happen when someone drags their issue into the light for God to do its work. But so he says to the community, listen, what a community really looks like is when it's so safe and there's a level of vulnerability that's so high because we are not judgmental people. We do not put people out of the church uh, because they confessed an issue that they want healing from. We do not run from them if they're dealing with issues that are too complicated for us. We, we are those who are here in it, and that's the type of atmosphere that James is calling for his church to have. Because if it was a toxic church... James would say, don't bring your sins to each other. It's dangerous. But he's not. And that's the kind of church that God is calling his church to be, is one that helps people unpack and bring the, the, the difficult stuff to light for others. I'll give you a small preface. If someone shares something with you, and it's a, a difficulty because vulnerability is happening, please do this person right by not sharing that with, with other people. And don't do it in tricky Christian ways, which is like, have you heard about so-and-so? We need to pray for them because da 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 Do not do this. I don't think God likes it. And if you really fear God, I wouldn't do it. I think he wants 
that healing to take place because he made us a certain way and he made us for each other as well. So allow that vulnerability to happen. I pray that happens more and more and more in our church because not everybody here, we can put on a happy face for just an hour, but we struggle. We have difficulties. We have issues. These are all practices of patience, persistence, through solidarity. This is what he's telling him. You will need patience and persistence to get to this place where you feel a sense of unity. Man, even when you think about the kindness of animals, I've been reading about elephants, you know, and if an elephant, family, community can help one when they're struggling, comfort them when they're down, when they're stuck in mud, they get around and pull them out of the mud. Christians, how can we be fighting and grumbling and arguing and pointing fingers with each other when elephants do it instinctually? Yeah, but if that elephant knew how horrible that person was, <laughs> you wouldn't do it. James is saying, hey, listen, we need to be better so the church can be radiant. All of us can have a story about church politics or church and happen, issue that happened at church or something that's gone on of why maybe we didn't go to church for a while. So listen, the church needs to be radiant. We, we don't need these stories. I'm sorry that they have happened. We pray to God they don't happen here at Soundhouse. But the church needs to be bright so people feel safe to heal. And then he's got two more little sections. We'll read them really fast. The prayer, this is the famous verse, the prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, he gives us another really interesting example. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So he's telling them, Elijah got up in the morning, had to stretch his back out, had to go to the bathroom, had to put on one, well, they just put on a robe, put on the robe, right, one arm at a time, and they had to eat his three meals, and if he didn't eat, he got hangry, like he was a normal person. So he's saying, he's just like us. Because we tend to put them far from us. But he's saying he was a man of faith. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Meaning this. If Elijah, who's a regular person, and for God's purposes, he did this, and because he was a man, he prayed fervently in a righteous prayer, what can't God do with your situation? I love that example. He's using two of the most difficult people in the Bible to model yourselves after, but he does it for a reason. Verse 19, and it'll conclude, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders. Ooh, this is going to be convicting because I've struggled with this sometimes. If any of you wanders from the truth and someone brings them back, let him know that who let, 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 let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So what a great way to conclude it. Treating the church like the 99 in the one loss. It's easy when someone's like, hey, we were all in, we're together on this, and they got, they, they left the truth, and you're like, you know what? Good luck. Hope you see, hope to see you at the pearly gates. Um, probably won't, but God bless you on the way out the door. Don't let the church doors hit you on the way out. This is a struggle for Christians because they can feel abandoned. 
But we have to remove that nature, I would say, feeling slighted nature. As easy it is. This is why church can be very hurtful. Um, I've listened to pastors talk over and over, just because they have so much time in church, in church relationships, that some of them don't want to talk to get to know people anymore because the people get to know them and then they leave the church and it hurts their hearts dearly. I have deeply committed to not let that happen. And it's hard because you see someone go, but listen, James is saying, listen, even when someone goes, don't, don't, don't take them off your prayer list. Don't, don't, don't take off the opportunity to reach out and just still be kind. Don't shun them like some places do. Like, uh-oh, okay, honey, get the car. We're going. Don't. He's saying, if you wander, if somebody wanders, he keeps them still others focused. And even to those in their own community, if they wander, don't, don't, don't take offense to it. Be praying that God will open up a door to eventually make their way back, and maybe you can be the catalyst for that. It's be- I just love the way he finishes. He's talking about community, solidarity, and it doesn't work if you just let people go. What happened to so-and-so? I don't know. Just, I don't know. Just off now, he's at the bar every week. I don't know, I can't, can't reach the guy. But anyways, anyways, what songs are we singing this week? No, 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 no. It, 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 real solidarity is just not letting people go. Real solidarity is continuing to think about those who maybe have wandered from the truth. And maybe you have people in your life that's wandered. Maybe they haven't wandered from this church, but they've wandered from the truth in your life. I have two very important people in my life who have wandered from the truth, and it deeply concerns me that they've wandered from the truth. And it's, it's since our Oikos series that we did, if you haven't heard it, you should go back and listen to it about just making someone a priority so you can continually pray for them so you're constantly open to reach out to them. But I kind of had written them off, and I'm not going to lie, before the Oikos series, and I definitely didn't read what James was saying. And, and they have become a priority in my time, effort, affection, and effort to, to reach out to them. And it, it's hard, but man, I wish I would have heard these words of James. I didn't need that oikos ears to do it, but it was a good way for me to open my eyes that God has called me to people around me and do not let them go. You guys can bow your heads. I want to close with these last things for time's sake. James is calling us to patience, endurance, and practice. And all throughout the book of James, I hope you felt this impression a, a, a sense of making a decision. Being indecisive, indecisive is very difficult in life. I'm making a decision right now to buy a part for my washing machine, and I tell you what, I spent 10 hours trying to figure out if I was going to make the wrong decision, and I agonized and agonized and agonized and agonized, and I hate being indecisive about stuff like that. But I just caught myself like, what are you doing? But we do it in our faith. We can be so indecisive. But God is saying, listen, you don't need to be indecisive. You know the truth. You have your faith. You know who Jesus is. And he's laid out a path for us to follow. And we have a commission from God. And we have a purpose. And we have a plan. And he's told you times are going to get tough. And Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to pick up your cross and follow me. And it's hard So Jesus has laid everything out. God has laid everything out for us to fully embrace our faith with sobriety, embracing it. I know I'm sober-minded about what this decision is, and James is saying, let's 
let's make sure we make that decision. Take it seriously. Draw the line in the sand. James's famous term is, don't be a double-minded person. Trust. Have faith. God will provide. And, and I'm not speaking from an absence of struggle. I'm speaking to someone who's continually trying to make sure I keep that line firm. And it's hard. Because temptation is strong. Pain is hard. We get tired. And we wonder, what's the point, God? But there is a point. Jesus laid that point out very directly and very clearly. There is a point. There is a purpose to your life. Endure. Endure. God, we love you. We thank you. For all, I pray right now for all those in here who needed to hear the words of James, who have started to struggle, who might find themselves being double-minded. God, who've been in a place where they don't know uh, if it's worth it all. But God, I pray that you remind them today more than ever that it's worth it all. The better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. God, help them remember the moment they had an encounter with you and how wonderful that was and how beautiful it was and how powerful it was. Better than that one day than a thousand elsewhere. God, give them a revelation about that, those who might be struggling. You're all we need, and we trust for you to provide, God, so help us in our journey to live out our faith in real life for for love of you and for the work of your kingdom. Give us that strength. Thank you, God, that we can study your word. It's been preserved for us to learn and grow, and your spirit is active in our hearts, taking these words and applying them and transforming our lives. We might not even know what you're doing, but you're doing it. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand with me this last song?